This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. Uh, we've been going by chapter by chapter, and there's a total of four chapters. So today we get to look at chapter three. And the book itself is a unique book and a powerful book that I think reveals, if anything, much about the character of who God is, of his faithfulness, of his commitment, of his trustworthiness, of his love ultimately. So even as you hear that and how we even describe who God is, it could be sometimes very difficult. It could be very daunting. Because when people who wrote the book of the Bible, they ponder even on the mystery of who God is, right? They consistently describe God's character in this way that he is a compassionate and generous God. He is slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And then we're going to look, if anything, at that, the, the fourth word in that that I just mentioned. That loyal love is translated in, in the Hebrew as Kadesh, which is hard, if anything, translate in our own language because it combines this idea of love, generosity, and enduring commitment, commitment all in one. Pastor Marlon touched on this last week in his uh, passage of chapter 2, and we saw those themes. And this Kadesh is described as an act of promise-keeping, a loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. And I really believe Ruth, as we've been learning through these few chapters, really embodies that. And I think there's something from that that we can learn. But in this chapter, chapter 3, I want to keep examining the person of Naomi, the mother-in-law, and her heart. And where her heart is, even at this chapter, and what God is about to do in and through her. So just to, to, to recap what's been going on with Naomi. Naomi has effectively called into question the loyal love of God, the God of Israel, right? So her, she basically said her family basically turned their back against God way back. And yet she declares that it was God who turned, her back, who turned his back on her. So she feels like all hope is basically lost. So there's this level of bitterness that she has towards God at this moment that still remains there. Right? There's this bitterness. And, and, and the rest of the story unpacks Naomi's point in this. Where she feels like all hope is indeed lost. Has God, Yahweh himself, turned his back against me based on all the circumstances that she was facing? Question is, church, when we are faced with various circumstances and trials and struggles in our own life, how do you respond towards God? What is your posture? Just when Naomi was declaring that God has no loyal love for her, Ruth her daughter-in-law exhibits this loyal love by this stunning response. Okay, she's a Moabite, 
Basically, she is a woman that's outside of the circle of, uh, that, that follows the God of Israel. So instead, she submits and she commits in following after Naomi and being willing to serve with the God of Israel. And she will remain loyal to this, to a person who's bitter at heart. It's interesting that this outsider is more loyal than the insider, Naomi. And she looks at the circumstances and chooses to align herself with the God of Naomi, whom Naomi declares has turned his back on her. Now, knowing in light of all of this, I want to ask this question. So we like to say that no true believer could be in rebellion against God. But is that true? Think about it. You think that's true? Certainly in terms of absolute or persistent hatred for God, you know, that itself I might even agree. See, by the very definition, a believer, catch this, is someone who is no longer an enemy of God. The scriptures tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, and you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. But can, hear this, but can a believer be opposed to the power and the wisdom of God? This is to be bitter or even angry towards God based on our circumstances. And I think you can. I really think you can. We all have met people who are angry or bitter against God, whether it be some perceived type of wrong that's been done or a suffering that maybe God is allowing at this moment, where they have come to a point where they are totally and completely just mad at God. Have you felt that in your heart? See, some of us have lived in periods of life where we have struggled with what God allowed even in our own life. There's a fine line even in that itself. But I believe as we look at the character of Naomi, we could easily describe her as in rebellion and angry towards God. It's not the kind of rebellion that she does not believe in God because she knows the truth of who God is, but a kind of rebellion that fails to depend on God in the midst of her circumstances. And it fails to submit the power and the wisdom of God. And it fails to recognize that suffering and hardships are often a part of God's love. See, as we continue to recap even the book of Ruth, even in these past two chapters, we could actually observe about a lot of Naomi's even own motives. Because if you think about it in the story itself, Naomi, there was two things that she was longing for. Two things, because they were basically homeless, they were basically poor. Two things that she was longing for. One is that my family, we need food. <laughs> you know, we need some kind of food to take care. And But on top of that, we need family because we're homeless. We have nobody to care for. So two things always concern Naomi's heart. That was food and family. And just consider this brief survey in how Naomi has always been responding in the midst of her circumstances. Ruth 1.1, it says, Naomi leaves Bethlehem, the house of the bread, and go to... Uh, to go to Moab because of a famine. In Ruth 1.6, she returns to Bethlehem because the famine is gone. In other words, she is after food again. In Ruth 1.8-18, she tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to go back. I don't have any husbands to provide for you. 
Ruth 1, 19 to 21, she tells us that she is bitter now against God. See, this is a woman who trusts in her own means rather than her God. Raise your hand if you've been there. I know many of us have been there some level or form. That guilt that we feel. See, rather than trusting in Yahweh, the God, and the promises that he reveals through Deuteronomy chapter 28 and the blessings of it, Naomi here, she is looking for her own ways out. Here's the thing. God has ultimately been in and working through her life, yet she has been completely blinded to that. And what I want to point out even for us here this morning is that even in your trial, even in your own struggle, even through what you yourself are facing, God is actively working behind the scenes still. But can you believe that? Can you trust him enough to, to continue to walk and know that he, his hand is still there in your midst? And that's difficult. If anything, we observe the providential hand of God upon, even in the story, throughout so far in her life. And that's where I want to go deeper. This woman, Naomi, her, her life was completely turned upside down, where she doubts and questions and goes into a point of despair, where she feels like God's loyal love that she knew of in the scriptures itself, that he is a committed God. And she feels at this moment, in the midst of her circumstances, that God, you felt like you abandoned me. Do we feel that at times? Where we ask and we question God and we wonder, are you really there? Are you listening? Are you with me in the midst of my own circumstances? So here's the question that I want to lay out to you this morning as we wrestle through this text of Ruth chapter 3. Why should we trust in God's loyal love to guide our lives? Why should we trust in God's loyal love to guide our lives? I think three things we could take away. Because God takes our despair and our stubbornness and moves it to a place of rest. Because God is generous in his love to guide our lives. And because it's Jesus' loyal love that prepares us for redemption. These are the three points that I want to look at based on chapter 3 and really kind of the, the whole story thus far. I want you to know this. The book of Ruth, when we especially look at Naomi's life, it is voicing questions that come to all of us. As we look closely at this text, we see that actually her story and her questions actually belong to us too. There's a lot of it in there. Because a lot of times we get fixated a lot on Boaz and Ruth, which are totally important. But I really want to look at Naomi's heart, her soul, or the condition of where she's at. Because I feel like many of us could relate and echo that voice even at this moment. So let's look at the first point. Because he takes our despair and stubbornness and he helps us ultimately find rest in his love. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, <clears throat> her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whom, whose young woman you were? See, he is weighing barely tonight at the threshing floor. Wash her, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on, and go down to the threshing floor. And do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. 
Then go and uncover his feet, and now lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Now this is interesting, and I want you to understand the context of what's going on, even in this passage. See, in ancient Middle East, there was no such thing as a welfare system. There was no social networks. God provided the male next of king, what we call here the guardian redeemer, which we're going to see soon, which will be basically Boaz. Which it was by law that was required in Israel that those uh, who, who, who bear this role itself was that any duty which a man could not perform by himself, that the guardian redeemer was the closest next of the king who would care for even a distant family member who had become orphaned, widowed, homeless, and or otherwise destitute. So remember what I said before. There was two things longing in Naomi's heart. We need food and we need family. And up to this point, Ruth herself was in the field of Boaz, and they realized, wait, Boaz is a long-distance person who could be that guardian redeemer, who could ultimately give us what we long and what we need so that we don't need to be homeless anymore. We could actually have a family now. So Ruth, get ready. But you're going to go meet him, all right? You're going to finally meet Boaz, and then you're going to make this happen, and we're going to get this marriage going. So that's what we're building up to at this point. But follow, again, if anything, Naomi's heart. And remember up to this point, Ruth and Naomi, they've been living off the kindness of Boaz up to this point. Barely surviving day by day. Naomi seeks this permanent respite that she could ultimately and finally have, right? But sending her daughter-in-law, Ruth, into it where this guardian redeemer, Boaz, could finally come and give them what they need. So he encourages her in verses 3 and 4, go now, right? Now go ahead and do what I said, because when you find this person, Boaz, and, you, and finally he redeems you, he'll give you ultimately that security, that comfort that you need in the loving arms of a husband that could only provide. But catch again what Naomi's longing in her heart in verse 1, Right? What she is seeking ultimately is that where you will find rest in the midst of her circumstance. Her heart is longing for a rest for so long they had nothing. And finally there's something here that could potentially fulfill what she's longing for. But it gets a little odd in how she wants to go about this plan, right? Because towards the end of that verse, verses 4 and onwards, it says, Naomi tells her, okay, when you see him out in the field, all alone, I want you to go now uncover his feet and his leg and now lie down next to him. This gets a little scandalous, right? Some, some, you know, it's like, all right, what's going on here? And you start to question, like, what is going on here? What's happening? What was Naomi's instruction to Ruth? Basically, she would say, go take a bath, put on perfume, put on the best makeup and everything on, get ready, sneak around until Boaz about to sleep, and then lay down next to him. Hmm. If you really think about it, the situation was little, if anything, unethical. What does this situation sound like? What does this situation appear like? This sneaking around was not the kind of moral standing that you would expect someone who's been following after Yahweh and his truth. Or even keeping up with the law. It was at the very least as an image of indecency, right? Further, Naomi's instructions were very risky. She was giving up almost everything 
up to this point with everything that has been given through the fields and the food that she needs. Think about this. How might her instructions have been confused? This proposal could have been a disaster. Naomi wanted her to get married to have a family, right? But consider the possible outcomes with her plan, knowing what's out there. That Boaz could accept this misinterpreted sexual invitation, or Boaz rejects the misinterpreted sexual invitation, or Boaz responds favorably and honorably to Ruth. See, two out of the three outcomes would have been a disaster for Ruth's reputation and completely turned off the kingship redeemer, which is Boaz. It could have ended basically in disaster. And where does such a scheme come from, right? What was in Naomi's heart? And that's the saddest part is this. Naomi's instructions neglated God completely. See, instead of looking at the character of God that she has probably been always taught growing up, the character of God and knowing who he is, she started to go deeper into her own doubt and despair and bitterness where she longed into her own soul, let me fix the situation. Let me be the one in control. Let me take matters into my own hand and figure out a way out of this. She's scheming instead of looking to God. What Naomi was looking for, she thought she could find hope in her own circumstances and find the rest in that. What she really needed was to trust and lead into God, right? Her family, rest in Christ. Think about it. In Ruth chapter 1, right, right here, I mean, Ruth chapter 3, in verses 1 to 5, if you, if you look at it, in the entire conversation up to this point, not one moment is anything mentioned about who God is. There's no suggestion of God is even on her mind. In fact, what is she doing here? She's scheming for a long-term provision. Ruth 1-2 teaches us that she is a woman driven by even food, chapters 1 and 2. She's a woman scheming for her how to get food. And, and, and we can even relate with that as well, right? It's scary to, for us even when we get into financial situations where I do not know where the next meal is going to even come from. Or it could be something with our kids. It could be something with our health. It could be just about anything. When we're faced with our own circumstances, how do we handle it? What do we do? And this is what caught my attention. A chapter before in chapter 2, verse 20, she's already started to begin to realize and recognize God's hand in her life. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. It says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relator of ours, one of our redeemers. See, she knows and sees that God is providing for them in the background. So how does she respond to that truth? She continues in chapter 3 to seek her own means. When she could remember the scriptures and things that have been taught of her, in, such as in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where verse 28 says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands, and I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations and the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you. God has promised always. It's constant in his character to promise provision. Only if you just ask and just obey. However, what we see here 
It says she is constantly seeking her own means of provision. In that way, she's actually guilty of self-adultery because she is worshiping her own self. She is trusting herself rather than God. Even for our own family, we, as you may have seen, we have three little kids, twins and another little one. They're all under the age of five. Like even this is real time. As I was preparing this passage itself, um, with our twins, there is a little bit of a language delay or struggle, all sorts of things that we're kind of wrestling with them at this moment. And uh, even in that situation, we're running around. Myself, we're trying to figure out exactly what help and support and tutoring can we get for them. And they're already in kindergarten. The standards, I can't believe it. it's just gone off the roof in school itself. But we're, we're trying to help and prepare them for the best that they can as they continue to grow. But in the back of my head and also for my wife, we're anxious and worried. Is there some kind of disability here? Is there some other issue there that we're not seeing? So we're getting the doctors and help and stuff to make sure, you know, whatever they need, we'll try to support. But even in the midst of all of that, here's my wife who's praying and seeking the Lord, even a circumstance, a situation that we're in, but I myself was either shutting out completely and trying to feel like, don't worry, they'll get over it, and not really engaging in it. I think sometimes we have a hard time seeing how God's word connects with even our own lives. See, many of us, we could see ourselves in Naomi. See, there is a fine line between trusting in Jesus and trusting oneself. How do we know if we're trusting ourselves? Just take Naomi here as an example. We start leaving God out of our plans, meaning we don't pray. We don't consider wisdom from his word. We are willing to take foolish risk even. And we are willing even to sin to get what we want. I don't know what you're going through, but think about it. See, these are all signs that we are stubbornly looking to ourselves rather than trusting in God. See, in our stubbornness and even in our despair comes when we turn our eyes away from the steadfast, loyal love of God, right, in the midst of our situations, that we start trying to find reasons to hope, some piece of circumstance that will suddenly make it seem like everything will be okay. So we obsess over these new cycles or exhaust ourselves looking for a medical solution to something or invest in the next scheme that will help us suddenly be financially sound or search for the hidden devices that will make that relationship all better. Here's the thing. Despair is dark. I've been there. Sometimes it's so dark and so discouraging, it seems almost impossible to see what God is doing in and around us. Then we become like Naomi at the beginning even of her own story, where we grow dark, right? We become bitter, and we, have, we feel like there's no hope around us. That's why we need to trust, even through the tough times, even in the moments, to lean and trust in God's love and mercy and just rest in that. Look, Naomi's heart right off in verse 1 in chapter 3 is that she's longing for rest, She's been struggling for a while, being homeless and poor, and then she has a daughter-in-law. We don't know what to do. 
I, I know within our own struggle and our battles, that's what we're longing for in our hearts. Ruth 3.1 speaks on that. It is a reminder that rest is only and ultimately possible in the arms of the Redeemer, namely in the arms of Jesus. And for all who trust in Jesus, his rest is yours. So we have rest from our work, from working to try to obey God in order to earn his favor. No, we obey God from a position of rest. And even in that, we rest in his spirit inside of us. His power working in and through us. The whole Christian life, if you think about it, is rest in Jesus. Even as we look forward to the ultimate eternal rest in him and a new heaven and a new earth, we just keep running and running. She knew a guardian redeemer is all that she needed. God's offer of salvation to you and I is what we need because he knows that we are unable to, uh, uh, to bear the burden even of our own sin, of our own struggle, where we feel that we're so spiritually destitute and without any means of recovery. God will ultimately offer us a guardian redeemer. And we know who he is, Jesus Christ. And Naomi saw that here's a potential of this Redeemer that they could finally ultimately feel like she can get rest. She thought maybe through her plan she could make it happen. But we'll see differently here in uh, the next part. Look at me for the set next point. Because God is generous in his love to guide us. Look at verses 7 to 14 with me in this part. This gets interesting because now the plan and the instructions that Naomi had given <clears throat> to Ruth goes into motion, all right? So she's out there in the fields, right, Ruth. And as she's out there in the field, she sees Boaz. At this moment, he, he just had a big meal, all right, Boaz. And he, he is full. He had drinks, food, everything that you could think of. Imagine a great meal that you had. After you eat that type of huge meal, you just want to knock out and sleep. Right? You just want to rest, you want to lay down, and you just want to go to sleep. And exactly this is what's happening in this passage from verses 7 up to 14. All at the same time, Ruth knows in the back of her head what her family needs, so she is you know, behind the bushes or somewhere around in that field and waiting and honestly looking and waiting and waiting. Did he sleep yet? Did he sleep yet? Is this my moment? Should I go think about it? Put yourself in the story at this moment. It made me think about even my, uh, my, my, my little kids when we're putting them to sleep. Man, it's difficult. They just don't want to sleep. They want to be up all night. They said, this is boring. I don't sleep. It's boring. I can't believe one of them even mentioned that. But even from my wife and I, we're, we're holding their hands, letting them know it's okay. And when we finally think they finally fell asleep, we'll take a few steps out the door, we'll look behind to see if they're, all right, they're sleeping. Are they out? And then all of a sudden you see this head pop up. You're like, ah. Oh. But anyway, but put yourself in the story. Ruth is waiting. Ruth is looking. Ruth is waiting for that opportunity where she could follow and through with this instructions that Naomi, her mother-in-law, said. So verse 7, right? Ruth approached quietly to this feet because he finally saw that he fell asleep, uncovered his feet, and she said to lay down, right? And in the middle of the night, Boaz, all of a sudden, in verse 8, startles. 
He's like, wait, what just happened? And my, my feet exposed. And then all of a sudden, she, he sees this random lady basically laying there. I could only imagine what in the world was going through the mind of Boaz, right? In the middle of the night. But look how he responds, okay? He basically asks her, who are you? And then Ruth makes her plea. Put wings over me. This wings here is emphasis that Ruth herself proposed to Boaz. Basically, will you marry me? And how did Boaz respond? And look at the character of Boaz in this moment and the promise that we'll see in verse 10 of chapter 3. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first that you have knocked down after a young man, whether poor or rich. What was her first kindness, Ruth? Her first kindness was her steadfast love and loyalty, right? Towards Naomi, this loyal love. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, it says that, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and in a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." So what does he mean by the second type of kindness? He's flattered, if anything, that, that she chose him over a younger man. She has chosen a man based on character rather than on age. He calls on God to bless Ruth for her continual character. He accepts her on the basis of being a worthy woman. Ruth 3, 11 to 12 speaks on that. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. The people even knew the character of who Ruth is. Is a worthy woman. Verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. See, in verse 13, we see finally this fulfillment that's going to take place. Where Boaz is basically saying now in verse 13, remain here and stay here. For I will redeem you. Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down here until morning. So he openly promises to take Ruth as his wife. So what does this say about God's mercy so far? Remember in Naomi, remember in, Naomi in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3, her schemes are risky, right? Indecent and godless type of plan. The proposal could have been a disaster if Boaz had accepted and misinterpreted the sexual invitation. Yet Boaz did understand that this was a marriage proposal that Ruth brought over. So despite the fact that Naomi sought her own means, God chose in his infinite wisdom to bless it. He allowed Ruth to come to Boaz without being recognized and allowed him to understand this request and put his heart and an interest for Ruth that was sufficient even for marriage. So despite Naomi's disbelief, God had mercy upon her. He allowed the proposal of Ruth to go unhindered. Her hope of a kinsman redeemer came true. So in the case of even of Naomi, God is guiding her life even while she is not trusting in him. She is rebelling in bitterness. And at the same time, God is delivering her from her suffering. God's been working behind the scenes always 
in and through this? Would you believe and trust that this God is also working behind the scenes even through whatever circumstance you are faced with? And if that's true, then know this, that we should trust in God's mercy. That we should trust in God's providential hand. That we should trust in God's loyal love towards us when we don't even deserve it. Why? Because as God was working through Naomi's life and demonstrating that God is good. That even overlooking at a persistent stubbornness and bitterness, even whatever it is in our own heart, God is also a God who guides our life. He is the ultimate chess player, not simply playing to win the game, but moving the pieces to show us love and mercy. So I get it, church. I get it. With, even within our own circumstances, even within our own struggles, we echo the voice of Naomi. That we rather trust in our own schemes than in God in the midst of our circumstances. As to why we ask, is God really trustworthy? Is he faithful after all? Will he always be there? Even when everything around me looks like chaos. Here's the thing. When we find it difficult to trust God in the darkest moments of our stories, we are actually invited to follow and sit at the feet of Jesus. We too can come to God with our own despair. We too can come to God in our own questions. We too can come to God in our anger and our confusion. We don't have to pretend to be at peace, but we're not. God is not angry at us for asking why. He is not annoyed by our own tears. We could trust God with our broken pieces. So in the Bible, God is loyal and loving for us. No other reason than just because he is God. This is a beautiful picture. What looks so crazy because based on Naomi's plan. But we see a twist in this. This beautiful picture of Ruth offering herself to Boaz. Likewise, we now are called to come and sit at the feet of our own Redeemer. And offer ourselves to him. When we uncover the feet of Jesus, we will find the nail holes that pierced his feet as he died upon a cross for your sin and mine. So when you uncover that feet and when you lay at his feet, it is a reminder to you and I of God's mercy, of God's love, of God's faithfulness, of God's compassion. Because he is a generous and unconditional and loving God. The rest that you long for in the midst of your circumstance, even the midst of your struggles, what he is doing, he's inviting you to come at Jesus' feet. And when you uncover, you'll see those holes. And it will be a reminder that God has always been there and sacrificed so much for you and I and covered us with all of our sin, but also walks along and guides us in our lives. Question is, are you willing to embrace that? Are you willing to accept and sit at his feet? Or are you willing to continue to scheme and figure out your own ways of your own circumstances and come up with your own plans to figure out life? My final point, because it is only Jesus' loyal love that prepares us for redemption. We'll look at verses 15 to 18, but look specifically at verse 17. Saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. And he said to me, you must not 
go back empty-handed, circle that world, empty-handed. We're going to come back to that, to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Verse 17 is important, and, and why I made you circle the word uh, empty-handed. See, Boaz at this moment is giving Ruth all that she needs and to go back to your mother-in-law. Because in Ruth chapter 1, verse 21, we see uh, Naomi's heart, right? It was filled with bitter because she basically said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The author here is making a clear point here and doesn't even want anyone else to miss this point, that God does not leave his people empty. So in the beginning of Ruth, she walked out and said, I had everything, but now I don't have anything left. I come empty. But here we see a guardian redeemer, Boaz, give all to Ruth to go back to her mother-in-law and say, I don't want to leave you empty-handed. Here is all that you need. Everything that you've been longing for, I've given the food, right, that she was longing for, and now family into this. Because of the character of who this man is here in Boaz, which is actually pointing ultimately to the greater one, the great redeemer, Jesus. And that's why in verse 18, uh, Naomi's in a way excited because guess what? There's going to be a wedding. The day is coming. There's excitement. So that's why Naomi tells Ruth, sit tight. And that's sort of where this chapter ends off with before it heads into chapter 4. See, what we see, look at the character of Boaz. Boaz and his generosity, again, is so evident that he met the gifts that's evident that's needed for Naomi for the intentions to redeem her and Ruth. This boy was in love, Boaz, right? To marry Ruth and bring them in. In the same way, God is reminding you that I've been always there. Even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your struggles, I've been there. I've been constant. I have not dropped the ball. I'm still there. I'm walking behind you. That's why we see this persistence of this kingsman redeemer, right? Right, Boaz, he carefully and purposely negotiated to win Ruth as his wife. And Naomi recognizes that Boaz's plan in keeping his promise, that he will resolve the issues of redeeming Ruth and Naomi that day. So the preparation, the earnest payment, and the persistence all demonstrate the commitment of Boaz. But even further, they just demonstrate that God has given Ruth and Naomi in mercy the hope of redemption. They have hope for the very first time, left in the land of Moab without a husband, without anything, without food, homeless. All of this, where she felt like all loss was gone. But here we see when she starts off with her heart in Ruth 1, 21, where she was so bitter, she couldn't see that the hidden hands of God that was actively working where she felt like she had nothing in the beginning, we see ultimately in chapter 3, God restoring and redeeming this family and giving all that they need. She describes God as stretching his hands out and moving peace on a giant chessboard, basically showing that God's kindness and his hidden hands were actively working, meaning God in his mercy has brought tangible hope to Ruth and Naomi. If you lean in and you trust in Christ and you sit at his feet, church, even in our darkest, hopeless moments, God is with us. His hand of his mercy and his grace is ever, ever clear. 
to us, that he is walking with us. It reminds us, ultimately, Ruth is pointing us back to God and his character, right? That he is a faithful God. We, that's what we question in doubt when we are in our circumstances, right? That he, the reminding us in this past that he is a faithful God. He is a loving God. He is a trustworthy God. He is the God and he's the only God that could bring redemption to us and restore our stories that we desperately feel like we're continuing sinking. Church, our hope is in our Savior, the ultimate great Redeemer, our great guardian Redeemer. He's the one who exchanged it all for us at the cross. So as we even call the worship team as we come to a close here, why should we trust in God's loyal love to even guide our lives? It's because just like the, the centuries of Israel betraying their commitment to God and after humanity's long history of violence and death, God still kept his promises and his commitment as we see Boaz who redeems Ruth and Naomi. So in a dramatic and drastic way, he, God himself, becoming human and binding himself to us in the person of Jesus. And the people who followed Jesus of Nazareth said that in him they encounter the God of Israel who is full of loyal love and faithfulness. Sometimes we need that encounter. We need to experience his love and his presence. God is full of loyal love and faithfulness. Church, Jesus is the ultimate loyal, loving person that we desperately need in our hearts. I know we need rest. We keep running. Slow down. Come to his feet. When you uncover his feet, be reminded of who God is the cost that was laid out for you and I, church. This is important for us to lean into and press into that we desperately need. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.